Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, and we're here to break down the Orange's 56-34 loss at Louisville on Saturday. SU will not go bowling in 2019, 4-7 now with just a game against Wake Forest left next Saturday. Pretty crazy second half in Louisville. We saw the Orange offense be kind of slow to start and then kick things into gear with three straight touchdown drives, 4th and nine. In the fourth quarter, Dino Babers decides to pull Tommy DeVito, who had a bruised knee in favor of Clayton Welch. Turnover on downs, turnover on downs again, and Syracuse just couldn't keep up. Louisville scored four touchdowns in each half. Um, So we're going to talk about Babers' decision to switch quarterbacks, the defense, and what kind of went wrong there. I I think we can rule Steve Stenard out as a long-term D-coordinator option. And I do want to touch on the offense and the successes they've had the last two weeks. 42 points against Duke, plus a defensive touchdown, and then 34 points against Louisville with a couple of drives that could have ended in field goals if the situations were differently. So potentially two 40-point games, uh, which is pretty impressive for what that group has been like this year. We're going to take fan questions, and we will send you off into a somewhat meaningless Week 12. Before we get into all that, I need you all to go subscribe to us, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. And if you'd like to purchase local advertising, you can contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. All right, Julian, let's jump in. To me, the DeVito thing is the most interesting. It's what everyone is talking about after the game. It's, it's what I just wrote my column on. And to give everyone some background here, Syracuse is a 4th and 9 early in the 4th quarter uh, around the Louisville 30. And Dino decides to put Clayton Welch in. The reasoning he provides after the game is that Tommy was banged up. Uh, he had a bruised right knee, basically. And I, t- I talked to Tommy after the game, and he was wearing an ice pack. He was hobbling around really basically dragging that leg down the hallway and then up the stairs to the team bus. Um, Your body cools down at a certain point, so he he wasn't that hampered during the game. But Clayton Welch saw that Tommy was not 100%. You know, Tommy readily admitted that he wasn't, although it was Dino's decision to take him out. And I I was kind of thinking about this, Julian, and the contrast to four years ago when Eric Dungy was left in as the Cardinals went on a 34-0 run and were eventually up 31 points when Dungy got hurt, a hit to the head with about four minutes left. You kind of have these two sides of the coin where Scott Schaefer <laughs> clearly left his quarterback in too long and got punished for it, whereas Dino Babers probably protected the guy who he thinks is going to start for the next two years. I'm curious kind of from your player's perspective, like how do you see those two situations? I think it's kind of lose-lose regardless, but you know, how is a coach supposed to handle that, and, and how surprising was it, I guess, for you to see Tommy come out even when he was medically cleared to play? Yeah, so typically um, players, coaches, anyone involved in on-field activity, uh, they more so uh, lean towards uh, – player caution safety. It's a lose-lose situation where you leave the quarterback in or keep him in the game. But I can remember I was I was part of that Louisville game. And when Dungy stayed in and eventually got hurt, every player on the sideline, uh, most coaches were all like, it was just whisper like, what are we doing? What's going on? Why was he still in the game? Uh, because when you're in a situation like that where the game is lost and 
there's nothing to gain uh, immediately. You typically you play for the future. You want your quarterback to still be available uh, come the rest of the season to give yourself an opportunity uh, for postseason action and development elsewhere. Uh, in this case, I think Babus is right to go with Welsh because he was probably the best quarterback on the roster in that spot. Plus, the way plays have broken down, you're in a fourth nine situation where you're going to need to throw the football. Uh, in these periods, we have seen Syracuse need extra time and the mobility to get outside of the pocket in case the offensive line doesn't hold up. The fact that DeVito's knee uh, suggested that he wasn't capable of doing so, uh, I probably would have put Welch in as well, knowing that he has the legs to get outside of the pocket, even scramble upfield if necessary, but to give himself more time outside of the pocket to look downfield for a receiver to give himself a chance to win. So I think that this was a smart move by Babers rather than uh, the alternative where uh, shape leaves his guy in there much too long um, and ends up getting hurt uh, with further injury. Yeah, I think in this case, um, it's hard to make an argument to leave DeVito in there knowing what kind of injury he had given the situation of a fourth and nine where you've got to get to the sticks and you want to be able to rely on your quarterback as much as possible, whether that's running or throwing. And in this case, it seemed like Welch was probably the best option at the QB position. Yeah, a couple of quick points there. Number one, people are asking, well, well, why did he let Tommy play earlier? Syracuse was running the ball at will in the third quarter, and it's, you know, frankly, it was manageable for Tommy. He made some good throws when he had to, but, it, you know, he had time and space because they were able to pound the rock. Now, I will give Louisville's defensive coordinator a lot of credit for not coming after Clayton Welch on that fourth and nine. They were expecting pressure, even with Welch in. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they just got lucky or they recognized, hey, this is not Tommy DeVito. This is a guy who is not the most accurate passer. He's coming in on a cold night, and it's a huge moment. And frankly, you know, there was a window there. Nikeem Johnson was open briefly. Welch was fading to his left, and he skipped one in. And uh, you could tell. I talked to Clayton after the game. He was hurting about it. He was not happy about it. Even with the the change in – defensive coverage, they had a window, and he missed it. So I'm leaning toward the same way as you, Julian. I think it's a lose-lose situation, but come on, with how this year has gone, does Dino Babers really want to risk Tommy DeVito suffering a significant injury with all he's already gone through this year? I also understand the frustrations of the fans, but to me, that game, even if DeVito stays in and you score, you need to get a stop. And that defense got forced one punt all second half. Which kind of segues into my next point. What the heck is going on with that defense? You know, you hold Duke to six points, and obviously, very different teams, different styles, different caliber personnel, different health. Duke without two of their starting offensive linemen. Louisville actually got their potential first round tackle, Makai Becton, back. And I, they really dominated. You know, I was having this conversation with, I think, Nate Mink, my colleague here this morning, on our very early flight back from Louisville. Is it the players? Is it the coaching? Like, what happened? What was your perspective on, on that, Julian? What kind of went wrong after such a good performance last week? Yeah, so I, I had taken the Duke uh, performance as a small sample size, and I couldn't really apply it to – Louisville this week because one uh, the tape is out as well teams kind of know what the simplified game plan what's going on and that's kind of the, the uh, weakness of taking things out and allowing you guys to play fast not having to think much because you have a smaller playbook well when teams have a week to game plan for you now they can scheme up different ways to attack you and if they know you only got 
three coverages on the back end with uh, only a few fronts up, you know, coming from your defensive line linebackers. I mean, that's pretty easy to scheme up both run and pass. Um, I, I truly believe that it, it, when you give up 56 points, it's a scheme problem. You, you came out defensively and you didn't have uh, the necessary chess moves or chess strategy in place uh, to keep up with that offense. When you see plays like uh, Louisville going for what was the 81 against Cisco going down, streaking downfield on the bang eight, now that's a player situation. It was like, okay, we had this manned up. That was a one-on-one situation. You've got to cover that down, you know, and you, you just get beat. That's a situation where you say, okay, our players are getting, you know, got here and there. But they happen so infrequently on this defense, you don't see one guy getting beat. It's usually a 12-yard play here where a guy's out of his gap, or it's a, a six-yard play here where, you know, one team's just faster than the other. Uh, but it seems to be a schematic where, Syracuse is losing the same way, you know, pretty regularly, and that tells me it's more of a scheme thing than players. But uh, there's certainly some elements where on Syracuse's defense, speed at the linebacker position, gap integrity on defensive line uh, certainly have caused problems. But overall, those don't contribute to such large losses as we've seen from Syracuse. So I think it's an overwhelming, like, schematic, I'll say probably 75 80% versus players, you know, 15 to 20% um, here or there. But um, I truly believe that if Syracuse can find a way to uh, fix themselves as a defense in their scheme and what they're trying to do, um, alongside bringing in faster players, I think that's going to be the cure to some of the blowout losses that we've seen over the past few years. Yeah, definitely number one on the uh, list of things for Dino Babers to address this offseason is Getting a defensive coordinator and, and figuring out a system, obviously those things go hand in hand. Last thing I wanted to touch on before we go to fan questions, and it, it's kind of easy to overlook this given the result of the Louisville game, but Syracuse's offense has been better the last two weeks. You know, I, I think yep. the biggest thing is these offensive linemen that Dino Babers hoped would grow in weeks four to six are now getting better. We haven't really seen a ton of missed assignments Tommy DeVito was sacked two times against Louisville. One of them, he said, was basically on him. He moved the protection and and basically didn't correctly identify what Louisville was doing. Uh, And he had to make a guy miss one-on-one, and and he didn't. Um, The other one, he he said, was basically a good blitz, good call by Louisville. And, you know, I think he'd probably like to pick that up. But thinking back to the seven, eight, nine sack games that they allowed earlier this year, you know, they've come a long way. Uh, I think the biggest thing is having Aaron Service at left tackle. He has been really, really solid. He really hasn't made many mistakes. Um, I thought he was really valuable as a run blocker in the Duke game. Uh, I haven't gone back and rewatched Louisville. I wouldn't be surprised if he played a big part in their success last night as well. Um, I think Carlos Vettorello still has to get a little bit better at center. For those who haven't read my postgame story from last night, there were a couple issues late in the game with communication uh, on Clayton Welch's keeper for a touchdown that was called back due to Tristan Jackson's hold. Syracuse wasn't ready. Welch didn't even call for the ball. Vettorello heard a defender yell, move, and snapped the ball. So that was supposed to be a handoff <laughs> to Jarvion Howard. Uh, instead, Welch made the most of it. And then later in the in that same drive, the one that stalled out in fourth and goal from the 18, the the second false start came when Vettorello didn't hear Welch calling for the ball and everyone else moved. Um, so easier said than done, I think, for Carlos Vettorello. It's, it's not an easy job to go out and play center on the road as a redshirt freshman. But 
by and large, I think he's done okay. He had a couple of bad snaps again. Um, he's someone who the staff really likes and, and they think could kind of be the center for the next couple years to come. If he can do that, I, I think this line has a lot of potential. Because you get service back next year, Matthew Bergeron, I think, looked has looked very good at right tackle, especially for a true freshman. Dakota Davis had a really nice game against Duke with a, a bunch of pancake blocks. Um, they're going to have to replace Evan Adams. But to me, the line's been the biggest thing. What have you kind of seen in these two games, Julian? And what, what do you think the outlook of the offense is probably moving ahead here? Yeah, so uh, on the offensive line, I will say that agree with you there's been growth you know up front uh in terms of pass protection and, and really in the run game as well 200 yards uh uh backs against duke another 100 yard performance from o'neill uh this week against louisville uh, i think up front they're finally finding a way to get some push uh which starts to open some things up for your quarterback uh and on the outside i think guys are, yeah, at receiver i'm still i'm still not sold on guys like Taj harris yeah i mean they had the what the six receptions and such but uh, I think on the outside, things are still, in terms of chemistry, I think that's the biggest improvement uh, from quarterback to receiver than passing game is just finding a way for guys um, on the outside to develop more chemistry because I haven't seen that this year compared to seasons past. There's never been a clear number one to, to be an outlet for this offense. Um, in terms of stagnation and the passing concepts, I think a lot of teams have caught up to Syracuse in terms of what they want to do, getting the ball to the quick the quick flat thing about the Florida State and how they're able to jump some routes. Um, I think that in terms of innovation and what they're trying to do offensively and the passing game needs to going forward um, is something that Syracuse needs to look into because up front it looks like there's going to be a push uh, at least in the last two games, which I think is a better uh, indication of what's to come for Syracuse in the run game uh, in terms of development up up front. But on and for this offense, my biggest concern the last game, last game and. Uh, next season is just chemistry on the outside with between quarterback and receiver and some of the um, concepts that these guys are running and and how teams have been able to uh, figure this offense out. So I'm hoping that uh, there's some development on the outside uh, in in the passing strategy and finding ways to get guys open better because it seems right now that defenses have caught up to Syracuse's offense and what they're trying to do. And and once they figure that part, I think that the offense will continue to roll um, in terms of scoring points and and moving the ball. Yeah, generally speaking, I agree. I think there's some stuff they can – they can take from this year that they put in and keep moving forward, and there's some stuff they need to they need to replace. Um, they ran they ran the same double it's like a double slant tight end flat yeah. pattern, and Luke Benson dropped the ball in the first quarter. It was there. He was probably going to turn the corner. It's the same play. He scored a touchdown on at Duke. Um, that's something that's worked a lot throughout the year. We've seen some stale stuff for the timing routes on the outside, and especially the short passing game, the bubbles and the quick stuff has really not not emerged this year. Um, I do, I really did like the um, the touchdown pass to Aaron Hackett where he lined up as mm-hmm. a fullback, and they sold run all the way, and he just ran straight through. DeVito ran play action and he was wide open. I, I don't think we've seen that before, so that was a small wrinkle. I go in the middle of the field. <laughs> I know, I know. It's It was the long con, Julian. They've been setting this up for a while. Um, so, yeah, they got some stuff to work on. I, I think um, Jawar Jordan is going to be a piece. Uh, he's 
really, really impressive with his, his speed. I think mm-hmm. he's the fastest guy on the team. Uh, they sure sure as heck better not play him against Wake Forest. He's played all four games. Get him his red shirt, yeah. and you'll have him for next you know next season. We'll we'll see what personnel changes they make next week. Maybe you get some seniors some run. I, I think Tommy is probably okay if it's just a bruised knee. Maybe he plays. Maybe you decide to give Clayton that moment. Uh, Rex Culpepper, redshirt junior. We don't know what he plans to do after this year. So we can talk all about that on the big Wake Forest preview. But I, I agree. There's reason for a little bit of optimism with the offense. And I think if they can nail down some of the stuff on, on the passing game, they could be good next year. And, and frankly, with everything the defense loses, they're going to have to be good. Um, all right. Let's go over to some Twitter questions. A lot of optimistic fans, I am sure, after last <laughs> night. <laughs> Anybody know any good therapists? Nope. <laughs> uh, Jordan Gar, is Tommy DeVito a leader in winning QB? Please go back to high school for a fuller picture. Undeniable talent. I mean, how can you like really ha- ask the question and then answer it himself? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's like we don't really have the full picture. Doing it in high school is different. Doing it at Don Bosco is different. They had a really successful junior season where they they won their division title, uh, and then I believe senior year he had uh, a younger line and they had some issues. So I do think Tommy has the respect of a lot of guys in the offensive room, but I think this off season is going to be critical for him to become a team leader and someone who is really looked to as a guy who's leading the way. I'd really believe, while he hasn't been excellent this year, he has been put in as hard a position as maybe any Power 5 quarterback you know, in the country. To be the most sat guy in your first year as a starter with, a pat- with no running game at all for the first eight, nine games aside from Holy Cross. Um, so... I would lean toward yes. I think he is a capable leader, and he's someone who you can win with. But this offseason is just going to be critical for him. I, I And the direction of the program, frankly. Like I said, the offense will need to be good next year because the defense is going to take a step back. You also lose Sterling Hoffrichter. Turnpike Mike, what's the biggest one or two things that Dino will need to focus on this offseason to improve the team? Defensive coaching, a quarterback on the staff, recruiting success. What do you think, Julian? What's near the top of your offseason list? Um, getting them a quarterback coach. They actually play the position. Um, I think that's important if we're making staff changes here. Uh, I truly believe that investing in Tommy DeVito's development might be uh, one of the smartest decisions Syracuse football could make at this point, especially with uh, the setbacks that he's had this season. Uh, when you get hit a lot as a quarterback, when you're uh, under pressure all the time, when you're constantly having to make fast decisions, it throws off your clock. When you're thinking a defensive end is going to come to your backside, uh, it throws off your thro- your you're throwing a, your arm talent, your ability to, to get the football out when you're constantly making decisions faster than you want to. Um, it, it lowers your awareness down as a football player. So I would invest in a quarterback coach and someone who can truly uh, help Tommy DeVito settle in uh, to his position. I'd also uh, go after strength and conditioning and get those offensive linemen ready to go next season because I think their development the offseason is crucial as well, finding a way to keep down Tommy DeVito upright. And then finally, like I said before, uh, the chemistry on the outside, finding uh, new and innovative ways to get the offense going in terms of the passing. And watching teams like 
uh, LSU, uh, what they've been able to do, these Oklahomas out here, uh, even Tulsa uh, and, their, and their offense, just teams finding new ways to get the ball moving uh, that it creates, A, wide open, off, uh, wide open players downfield, and then, B, just easy uh, passes to the outlets that, that make those first, and ten, those first and tens become second and fives, just things that keep uh, the, uh, the engine and the efficiency running. Um, I think that's going to be key for Syracuse in the offseason uh, as well. So, one, just investing in their quarterback to their offensive line, and then, B, uh, passing strategy as well to keep this offense afloat. Because, like we said, this defense next year is going to lose a lot of people, and while there may be a schematic change, I think the offense is going to have to carry them while they introduce so many new players. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's unfair to expect the defense to make a huge jump next year. I, I just think you need to have clarity there and vision, and you need to basically know what you're doing. You need to have a plan with the understanding that it's probably not going to work right away. Um, Martin Ball, players laughing and smiling on the sideline. Taj Harris celebrating a first down while down big. Players huddled around heaters while Louisville did not go near heaters. Team is soft. Is Ohana La Familia the wrong approach? Maybe this team needs tougher business-like discipline. Thoughts? Well, it sounds like they need to go bring Scott Schaefer back in. I mean, these guys just, they're too soft. You know, I think, I I mean, I... I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm like young, but I I don't. I think that's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I I do think it looks silly when a guy celebrates a first down down 22 points, but them right. laughing and smiling on the sidelines isn't why they're losing. You know, they're losing because their their defense is all over the place. Their I mean, their offensive line is okay now, but they're in this position because their offensive line has been really bad this year. That's a big reason why they're four and seven. I. I just don't buy into that personally. Uh, I don't know if do you give that any credence, Julian? Um, to the laughing and smiling while down. Uh, I, I think that I mean it reminds me. I don't know if you've seen this. But you remember uh, when the Michigan game, Jim Harbaugh is walking by, and you can see the uh, the little assistant manager, whoever walks by him, he's laughing and smiling, and all of a sudden his face changes to all kinds of seriousness when Harbaugh walks by. Um, I think there's certainly uh, a testament to the team having a constant buy-in in terms of what we're trying to achieve. And you would expect if you're losing and down and things aren't going your way, that there's nothing to smile about and be happy about. Um, I think that's uh, what the kind of question we're answering here is shouldn't the team here be worried if there's a disconnect between what's going on in the field and you're worried about something else that, you know, allows you to be carefree and have a good time on the side like that. A, as a football, if you're a leader on the team, that, that shouldn't be happening. If I was Jim Harbaugh, obviously he was upset enough where he's not laughing and smiling. I don't think Coach Davis is laughing and smiling because obviously something is going wrong on the field that needs to be adjusted. So as a player, I know there can be guys who um, – are not connected to what's going on in the field. And that may play into why they're down by so much. Maybe they aren't focused. And I think that kind of contributes to why there were so many early struggles in the year and that ended up compounding into so many late uh, guys focused on the wrong things, whether it was La Familia or whatever was going on inside of that locker room uh, in the off season where guys weren't working quite as hard. Maybe that's, that's the picture of it right there that, that can be addressed. So, while it's not the reason they lost, it's certainly a, a um, you know a, a minor or a, a small feature of what that of things that may need to change over the course of the offseason, getting guys back into a buy-in. I think the mentality this year uh, certainly hasn't been where it was last year. And while mentality doesn't win you ten games, 
um, it certainly contributes to it. And if it's not there here, I'm sure it also contributes to their current uh, what three and seven season right now, four and seven season. Yep. So, um, not a big fan of it myself, and I certainly understand where you're coming from, but. Uh, I would suggest that there are more tangible things that can be addressed rather than the laughing and smiling because you don't want to be, um, you know, totally down on yourself despite the circumstances on the field. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I'm hesitant to criticize someone without knowing what they're, like, laughing or talking about. Right. Dino himself sometimes has interesting reactions on the sidelines. So, um, so I get it. I think it's easy to, to point and try and find all kinds of reasons for what's happened this year, but... Yeah, I agree. Definitely some bigger issues. Uh, Robert Masuris, what happened to the best defensive line in the ACC this year? And what's interesting is they actually have a very high pressure rate without blitzing, but the productivity hasn't been great. What do you kind of chalk that up to, Julian? So when it comes to defensive line, why there's so much uh, – you know what? They can't defend the run at all. They have terrible gap integrity. That's been clear to me since, you know, really – last year. Uh, they can get after a quarterback because it's different. It's different when you're trying to maintain a gap than it is to come off the edge and attack one person. Uh, when you're going after a quarterback, uh, whether that's an inside-outside move, you have one objective, you're going upfield, you're not worried about uh, maintaining leverage or anything else. So your job becomes much easier. When you're trying to stop the run and need uh, run and gap integrity, you're relying on your linebackers, your interior linemen, and while individual talent can certainly help, which I think it contributed to the pass rush last year and what kind of gave them the name of the best defensive line in the ACC, uh, there's been holes because, one, without uh, Slayton on that defensive line, maintaining on the inside, uh, the run defense has been... Uh, if anything, average. And I think that's a testament to guys having easier jobs on the outside when it comes to pass rushing. But in terms of run defense, there's little help from the defense or from the linebackers. And then on the uh, up front, not having Slayton and uh, rotating guys through also the injured and Kenny Williams not playing your best guys, uh, that run defense hasn't been there. So it appears as though this defensive line is not up to standard when they've gotten the recognition based off of the individual ability of one or two guys and their uh, strength of getting after a pass, after a, a, a quarterback. Yeah, I agree with all that. And I would emphasize not having McKinley Williams hurt really did. Probably your most physical interior guy, definitely your most experienced one. Um, and without him, you, you obviously are stretching those guys thinner. So that's not an excuse for, for getting out of your gap, but it's the – Josh Black and K.J. Ruff had very large responsibilities over the course of this year. Um, Todd Blanchard, does DeVito have no leash next year? <laughs> if he doesn't improve, we will flounder. Well, don't ask Jim Beheim that, as, as Brent Axe knows. I don't know if you heard that. He asked if, uh, if Jalen Carey had a short leash, and Jim didn't like that, as if Jim Beheim mm-hmm. hasn't had any player he's wanted on a short leash for the entire time he's been here. Um, well, you need a backup quarterback. So, you know, it really depends on what your other option is. I, I still think that they believe in DeVito as the long-term answer here. Uh, they're trying to get Cade Fortin, who's a North Carolina quarterback who, who went Juco and obviously transferred out. He could enroll in the spring wherever he chooses. We're still waiting to hear what's going on with him. Um, 
A couple of their targets farther down the board have committed to smaller schools. I, I don't know. I think they really need to bring in another arm. I don't think David Summers has really shown much behind the scenes. Uh, tough year for any first-year guy, but I think accuracy has, has been a problem from what we've heard. Maybe he'll get more opportunity, and we'll see what he does with that. Rex Culpepper will have to decide if he wants to come back for a fifth season here. Um, he has been... He was the number four guy last year and switched to tight end to number three guy this year. So, uh, you know, you wonder kind of what his perspective on that is. <laughs> Mike Lindsley has the cake taste. Yeah, I don't don't think <laughs> don't think anybody wants to eat this one. Uh, it, it, it looks like they're starting from scratch, uh, at least on one side of the ball. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Michael Worth, are Dino and his coaches in a bubble, or do they hear back from pro orange independent sources? Uh, you know, I think Dino, when he came here, really emphasized, he didn't say, oh, we want to be in a bubble, but he wanted to be the voice. And uh, I still think that's something that matters to him, but he didn't really let alumni back in a lot early. He didn't have people addressing the team besides him. He kind of wanted to set the tone, and that has changed after, I don't know if it was after year one or year two. I know Donovan Darius went in there. I believe Mike Tirico addressed the team. Obviously not a fo- football player, but Stephen A. Smith they brought in. So, um so he has. He has allowed former players to come back in. Uh, do you have kind of any insight to share there, Julian, and, and how you've seen maybe alumni be welcomed back a little more? Um, you know, it, you know, I have a very limited perspective on this because I've been in the incredibly awkward position of being both um, alumni, you know, having played for the team, but also being media. And that was always a, a weird relationship uh, when it came to dealing with Coach Babers, I actually remember a funny story. Uh, I think it was one of my first few times out there, and he finally figured out who I was. Uh, I came out there, and it was actually uh, just as a former player, just seeing how the team was doing. And I hadn't done much media stuff yet, and I was just kind of hanging out. He's like, what are you today, Wiggum? You, you actually coming today as a football player, or you know, you're going to report on who's dropping passes today? <laughs> and I'm sitting, I'm like, I don't got no paper, no pen, nothing, my man. I'm just trying to see how the team's doing, see how my guys are doing. I'm saying what's up to Cordy and, and Chris and everything. And uh, Coach Weber is he's just kind of watching, like, hey, you're not giving out any information, are you? You're not taking anything in? And I'm just like, come on, man. <laughs> These are my guys. So uh, when it comes, he, he's always been uh, very welcoming with me um, and the way that I've heard from uh, whether it's Coach Edinger, the strength conditioning coach, and some of the other guys on staff, whenever I was in the building, they were very, very welcoming in terms of bringing, you know, letting me walk around, see how things are going, um, you know, answering questions, asking me questions about uh, the team. Um, and, and it seems like they care about the family that's grown uh, from that Syracuse locker room. While they may not have been uh, at Syracuse, uh, before they, they always welcome back um, guys who've paid their dues, and that, that's their big thing. Uh, just talking to a few of guys on the staff, they're like, "Man, you were on the field, you lived it, you've done it. You know, this, this is your building. Respect." They, they give a lot of respect to players, whether on the team or former, um, in terms of uh, you know giving them access to uh, the team and, and allowing them to come back and, and interact and, and kind of see what, what what's been built there. So. From that aspect, I certainly think that Coach Davis has grown and allowed um, guys to kind of come back and, and see what Syracuse is becoming because 
uh, at least from my experience, despite my media background and being the annoying guy, uh, writing and saying different things about them, good or bad, they, they still welcome me as a foreign player to say, hey, uh, you contribute to this and we want to do right by you by allowing you to still see what's going on and how this process is unfolding. For sure. All right, thanks, everybody, for all your great questions. We appreciate you listening, as always. If you haven't subscribed to us yet, please go do that. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. And if you'd like to purchase local advertising, you can contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. We'll be back to preview Senior Day against Wake Forest.